Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Okay, we've had a problem here. This is Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. We've had a main beam plus thunderbolt. Roger, main beam thunderbolt. Okay, stand by, 13. We're looking at it. Hello, and welcome to this special episode of Space Junk. I'm Annie Hanma, and last October, I attended the 70th International Astronautical Congress in Washington, D.C. The IAC was first officially held in Paris in 1950. During the space race years, the IAC was one of the only fora where Soviet and American space scientists met. These days, IAC is a massive conference, bringing together thousands of people who work in the space sector, from national agency representatives, to defence practitioners, to those in private industry. This episode is the first in a series that will share what it was like to attend IAC and how Australia fits into the broader international space context. In this episode, I speak with three Australians at the conference who give three different perspectives on space. They are Adam Gilmore, Malcolm Davis and William Crowe. The interviews were done in the exhibition hall with my old microphones in the days before my wonderful Patreon supporters helped me buy better equipment, so you will hear the buzz of the crowd. Think of it as bonus atmosphere, no pun intended. First up is Adam Gilmore. Adam founded Gilmore Space with his brother James in 2012. The company provides launch services, which is a fancy way of saying that they make rockets. Really big rockets. But when I spoke to Adam, I wanted to know how he came to leave his banking career and start a space company, and how his background in finance has influenced his approach to the space market. I'm here at the Australian booth with Adam Gilmore of Gilmore Space. Adam, tell us about yourself. Okay, um, I'm an ex-banker, 22 years in banking, financial markets, derivatives, stuff like that, very mathematical. Mm -hmm. Always loved space and started thinking about 2004 that it would be something I could do in the future. And then I started getting more serious about it in 2010. Started the company in 2012. We made a lot of different stuff back then. We started with simulators for a space academy that we worked on. And then in 2015, we started building rockets. Right. And as someone coming from a, a banking and financial background, 
How do you think that's impacted the way you go about um, thinking about your company and thinking about where it fits within the broader space economy? Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of engineering is done for the sake of engineering or, you know, people think, you know, I'm going to make this great product and they don't realize that there has to be some demand for the product. So one of the things I learned in banking is what makes companies successful for our customers was they have products that customers want. So I looked at what products customers want and then you go after that. And yep. then the other thing is you analyze companies and how, how they live and how they die and how they run out of money. Mm -hmm. So you're a lot more conservative with money. You know, so I think I do a really good job of managing the cash flow of the company. Yeah, not to be sneezed at in a startup. And I think that um, that's something that has made Gilmore Space one of the more notable companies in Australia. I mean, if, if, you know, if you're a listener and you're not super keyed in with the space industry, you will have heard of Gilmore Space, partially because you've been in the news recently, um, but partially because I think it's fair to say your company is one of the fastest growing and, and most kind of established space companies in Australia. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we started pretty early. We started, you know, before the space agency, uh, we got access to capital pretty quickly. Um, you know, generally when you're building pretty hard technology, you need a lot of people to do it. So we grew our headcount pretty quick. Mm -hmm. We've managed to now hire a team of people that are from all over the world, from five or six different rocket companies. So we're very experienced now. And we've been doing a lot of cool stuff. We've been doing a lot of engine tests, a lot of other technology tests. So, you know, it's, it's, it's good to see that. And it's also as I understand it, a, a family business as well. So you founded it, I believe, with your brother. Yep. And your logo, which I absolutely love, was designed by your daughter. Uh, tell me about the process of getting the family involved. Was this something that happened um, over a family Christmas lunch or something? Almost, or? yeah. So I remember going home uh, to my parents' house in Sydney. I was living in Singapore and I said to my mom and dad, I think I'm going to start a space company. And I was talking about it, you know, over dinner. And then my mum said, you know, why doesn't your brother join you? So I looked at James, my brother, and I said, well, you know, what do you think? And he said, yeah, I'm keen. You know, we can do it. So he was like the first addition to the company. And then actually my wife was the second employee. And she was handling marketing and communications. So she was also working at the same bank as me. She wasn't that happy and I said, you know, why don't you quit your job and you can handle the marketing and stuff like that. Mm. So uh, that's kind of how the family company started. Yeah. And then my daughter designed the logo with a bit of feedback from myself because I said, I think the progression of the company is we'll go to the moon first, then go to Mars and then the stars after that. So if you look at our logo, there's a kind of a path. Mm that follows that. And the, as we've heard, the, the US administration and NASA have now borrowed that idea for their Artemis program. So you were very much ahead of your time once again. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it, to me, it was always a natural step. I never understood yeah. going straight to Mars. There's a lot of technology that you have to figure out. And the environment on the moon is very similar to Mars in most aspects. Both of them are almost vacuum. Both of them can get very cold. Uh, so, you know, you've got to live off the land as much as you can. You've got to get resources from the surface. Yeah. So I always thought something three days travel away is a lot easier to manage than six months away. 
Absolutely. I mean, it takes almost that long to get anywhere from Australia anyway. So, yeah, you're walking. Yeah, seems, seems more logical. And how do you see the future of space? Do you find that the way you think about space is different to people who might have come to space through um, a more sort of conventional aerospace engineering background? Yeah, I think what's different now is people are willing to try different things, take more risks mm. and develop technology very quickly. So I think what we'll see is still rapid advancements in capability. Yeah. You know, so SpaceX is going bananas, you know, talking about these big ships that go to the moon and then Mars. And I think you'll see similar types of activity with payloads going all over the solar system a lot more people going into space i do think there'll be cities on the moon uh, eventually um, and a, a pretty big space station as well that'll be commercial mm. what's your sort of thoughts if you if you could leave our listeners with any thought or any idea or anything you want them to think about or, or google um, what would it be I don't know. I mean, this. Um, I think the destiny of humanity is to, to colonize the stars. And I think we'll start with the solar system. And there'll be a point in time where people just totally take it for granted that you can get around in space. And there will be a point in time where there's more people living off the Earth than on the Earth. And, you know, it's easy to kind of imagine that when you have children like I do and they cannot imagine a world where none of us had mobile phones when we were kids mm. you know and you know people couldn't have imagined a hundred years ago we'd be flying around the world in jet planes so I think it'll be like that in the future people will just not even think about space travel being difficult that's what's coming thank you so much Adam it's been really lovely to talk to you pleasure next I spoke with Malcolm Davis Senior Analyst with ASPE, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Malcolm specialises in space policy, space security, strategy and capability development, future warfare and military technology, and Chinese military modernisation. But what I was interested in was what he thought of Mike Pence's speech at the opening ceremony, which took America first to a whole new level. If you haven't heard the speech, I suggest looking it up at some point because it's very interesting. In summary, the unofficial estimate was something like 17 mentions of freedom-loving nations. You may remember Malcolm from the episode recorded on the airfield during the Avalon Air Show last year. I promise one day we will record something with good audio, but today is not that day. Okay, I'm at the Australian booth at the exhibition hall at IAC 2019 in DC. And I managed to catch up with Malcolm Davis from ASPE, who listeners may remember from the episode on space war. And if you haven't already listened to that episode, I recommend going and listening to it because it was really good. But Malcolm, how are you doing? Look, I'm great. Uh, it's been a really good IAC so far this year. Yep. Uh, a lot happening. Uh, obviously, you would expect with the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, plus it's the 70th anniversary of the International Astronautical Federation. So. There's a lot occurring at this IAC, a lot of interest, you know, and very clearly the overwhelming message is that we're going back to the moon and we're going to stay, not just to visit. So there's, I think there's been a paradigm shift in terms of our thinking. We're now focused very much, and by we I mean the international space community, are very much focused on the moon as the next destination rather than 
as I would put it, wallowing around in low Earth orbit endlessly. Yes, that's true. I think we even heard that coming right through all of the speeches at the opening ceremony, including the speech from Vice President Mike Pence. Yep. Um, did you have any thoughts? Look, I, I think the, the Pence speech was interesting. He said what he, what I expected he would mm. say. Um, I found sort of uh, the sort of the language of you know, freedom-loving states in space, you know, guided by God, was a little bit inappropriate for an international congress. But nevertheless, you know, he came across very clearly that um, uh, the United States is very clearly focused on returning to the moon and returning to stay. So we are talking lunar bases. We are talking a, a permanent human presence on the moon, which is fantastic. And obviously the gateway uh, in lunar orbit is something that a lot of people have very different views about. Some people like it. Some people say it's not necessary. But I can see the potential benefit of, of having that sort of facility in terms of enabling other different types of missions around the moon and, and to the moon and beyond to, to Mars and near Earth asteroids. Yeah. And how do you see Australia's role um, in the, the upcoming moon adventures? Look, we've obviously signed a, 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 an agreement with NASA, $150 million agreement to help out. And that's going to go into growing and sustaining Australian space industry. So it's not $150 million to NASA. Mm. It's $150 million into the Australian space sector to be able to develop that and for us to be able to play a role in Project Artemis, whether it's uh, providing hardware, whether it's providing um, automated uh, remote systems for mining the moon, or potentially even one day having Australian astronauts on the lunar surface. And I, I would like to see that. I would like to see the young people of today in Australia having the chance to be an astronaut and one day stand on the lunar surface and look up at the Earth and, and you know, realise that dream. It's a very nice sentiment. Oh, I think so. And, you know, I'm too old. There's no way I'm going to go. But um, but I would like to see think of um, the, the, the next generation mm. of space practitioners, you know, not being stuck on Earth. Right. Well, we're keen. And in terms of the uh, remote mining technologies as well, I think that is an area where Australia has very good capability yep. that could be adapted. So. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at what we're doing with mining in Western Australia, where you have... Mm large trucks that are fully robotic and being controlled by from a command center down in Perth and they're mining thousands of kilometers away there's no reason we can't apply the same technology to mining the moon and, and doing lunar operations so it's something that's that's really important and your area of expertise is really counter space and space security to what extent do you think that's played a role in the discourse at IAC this year so far um, we've had a number of panels on on space regulation uh, and space security with a focus on how do we regulate uh, and manage competition. We haven't had anything on the military aspects of space or counter space or anti-satellite weapons or anything like that. And I think probably that's down to the nature of IAC. It's an international congress. And so they're wanting to avoid controversial issues, you know, that could, for example, anger the Chinese or the Russians. So I think that that's, that sort of topic is probably more appropriate for discussions at things like Space Symposium in Colorado Springs. But, mm. but you know, we've certainly had some discussions here about um, how do you regulate to, to avoid the risks of warfare in space. Sounds good. Any last statements, any thoughts? Look, I think, you know, from my perspective, now is a fantastic time to be in the space business. There's so much energy. There's, it's, there's been a fundamental paradigm shift in where we're going mm. in space. We're no longer kind of 
content to wallow around in low Earth orbit. We're now shooting for the moon and going on to Mars. And I would hope that actually we're looking, thinking in the longer term going beyond Mars uh, to the main asteroid belt and the outer planets. And there's potential there for both human and unmanned activities in those long-term goals. And we're just getting started. So 2019, Washington, D.C., IAC is the place to be if you want to understand what's happening about humanity's future in space. Thank you so much, Malcolm. It's been My good pleasure. to talk to you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Finally, I met up with William Crow, founder and CEO of High Earth Orbit Robotics, also known as HEO or HEO. HEO is a startup based in Sydney, which does on-orbit servicing and optical imaging. With a great team and an even more spectacular pair of gold sneakers, it is always worth having a conversation with William. William yeah. Crow and I are at the Government of South Australia stand, which is part of the Australian booth in the exhibition hall here at IAC. And William is um, an up-and-coming young entrepreneur in Australia who's doing some fabulous work. William, tell us what you're doing. I'd be uh, glad to do so, Annie. So what we're doing is using satellites in space, and we use them to analyze other satellites in the optical band mm -hmm. um, and first identify them, which is a huge problem. 20% of all satellites that are launched currently are never identified by their owners, which is a bit scary. Um, and then as time goes on, we're looking to do things like characterization, which means we can provide health analytics and really understand what's happening to your satellite as its life goes on um, from cradle to grave. Sure. So when you're talking about um, satellites not being identified, what we're talking mm. about is people not registering the satellites. Well, it even, it even goes beyond that. So generally, um, everyone that launches a satellite wants to be able to use them. But what often happens for various reasons is that the satellite doesn't turn on or doesn't turn on at the right time. Um, this might be because it's been sitting in storage and its battery has gone down or there's been an issue with the systems engineering or sometimes there are other things that go wrong with galactic or cosmic rays, sorry, um, that kind of thing. So there's all these issues that can happen in space and it happens such that we've got this really high failure rate of satellites. So it's not that the people owning the satellites don't want us to know which satellite is theirs. It's more that the people owning the satellites have something that goes wrong and they literally can't identify what's happening in orbit because they're using radar points and the radar gets a point of light, um, but it doesn't really tell you who you are, if that makes sense. So you yeah. might have 10 different points that might be yours, but you can't distinguish which one's yours out of those. Right, and so what you're offering is a service which basically, in simple terms, flies a satellite up to another satellite and has a look at it. Yeah, that's right. Gives yeah. it a visual verification of who you are. Which is an amazing technology. And um, in my mind, quite sort of whimsical, really, this idea of a, <laughs> yeah. a satellite kind of flying around and having a look at things. Well, you know, it's crazy that it's probably the only asset that's worth, you know, sometimes up to a billion dollars, but there isn't a security camera nearby. Like if you had a billion dollar factory here on Earth, you'd have probably a uh, hundred security cameras based around it. In mm. space, you don't have that luxury at the moment for various reasons, but we intend to break that um, that past history and, and make it possible so you can really identify what's happening at any time with your satellite. Fantastic. And if people want to look up your company, what should they be Googling? They should be Googling HEO Robotics, that's H-E-O Robotics. Um, and yeah, have look us up. We'd love to have more people join our story and, and follow what we do. 
Excellent. And how have you enjoyed IAC so far? IAC is great. I try and come every year. I think it's uh, really enjoyable. It gives me energy, makes me kind of want to continue on for the next year. So I love coming yeah. here. What's been your favorite event? Uh, well, I, I really enjoyed the uh, opening ceremony, actually. So um, a lot of people uh, bagged it out. But what I loved about it was that uh, Buzz Aldrin got up, uh, along with um, Neil Armstrong's son and also uh, Mike Collins' grandson. Uh, so all were fantastic, but I actually teared up when Buzz spoke. Um, and I had to stand up and give him give him a standing ovation afterwards, but I just thought it was brilliant. It was very inspiring. I, I found I was really quite affected by it too. I'm glad. And also, um, Michael Collins' grandson, Luke, mm. I've, uh, I've recorded the talks, so I'll make them available through podcast as well and probably cut it in at some point around here. But I thought that his speech was so touching. He read a message from his grandfather and then added his own message, and he yeah. did such a beautiful job. I found that um, also really quite emotional. It was a fantastic speech as well, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think Mike would have been really proud. And personally, I thoroughly enjoyed the Broadway singers performing some Disney songs. That wasn't my favorite part, but I thought it was, yeah. Oh, but the, they, whole, they the performance of Whole New on. World was, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, people were, were loving it. Yeah, no, people, people enjoyed it. But I thought it was funny, the uh, Broadway singers asked everyone to uh, clap their hands at one point and, and get up, uh, and no one was probably going to do that. When there's 6,000 space nerds in a hall, they tend to groupthink and uh, really stay where they are. Mm, yeah. mm. That's true. Um, yeah, they, they, were, they were performing to a fairly cold audience. I, I feel bad for them for that, but hey, yeah. But they really were brilliant. They, they were. They did yeah. such a good job, so... They were very talented, yes. Yeah. <laughs> any final thoughts, anything you want people to think about to do with space or any ideas about um, the future of space and how you see it? Well, probably a, um, a pretty, or a, a remark that's intended for more of an Australian audience, which is that um, I think from the conference here, it, we really have a niche in our country um, and we're really doing some great things. And I think Australians should be proud um, and really start being optimistic about the future of our work in space because everyone else around the world is, um, except maybe people who live in our country. Mm. So it's time that we join everyone else and say, actually, we're pretty great. And we are. Yeah. Yeah. We're okay. Wait, you know what? We're, we're doing our best. We are. We're do we definitely are. And, yeah. and actually, um, if we think about last year at Bremen to this year here, even in that one year, we're so much more established. Oh, the Australian booth is quickly. like yep. last year we were kind of trying to get people into the Australian booth to talk yep. to us. This year we're kind of fielding them constantly and trying exactly. to get rid of them. So can't get them away fast enough. You can't, you can't send them away. They all want an Australian space agency clip on koala. Absolutely. Well, Annie, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. It has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll leave you with Michael Collins' grandson Luke's words and an extract from the aforementioned Broadway performance. The audio isn't great, but it's a short segment and worth hearing. So my grandfather gave me the following three. I'm sorry not to be here today, but I'm delighted that my grandson, Luke Rule, is here. I am pleased that his generation seems willing and able to continue what I call outward bound, as described by Alfred Lord Tennyson. The challenge of my generation was the movement. The challenge of Luke's will be Mars, but a Mars trip will make Apollo seem like a child's play and will be a marathon, not a dash. 
When we returned to Earth during the world tour, everywhere we went, we heard not you Americans did it, but we did it. I believe organizations like the IIF exemplify the universal human instinct to look up and wonder, to reach out and explore. Such global relationships and cooperation will be vital to the success of any journey beyond our own small Earth human system. And so I am confident that Luke's generation will carry it off that two-year jaunt to Mars. And from what I know of them, they are off to a good start. Speaking now as myself, uh, and much to my and my entire family's surprise, I have seen Mike conquer the true challenge of my generation, social media. In reading his posts, now tracking the world tour 50 years in retrospect, I have come to appreciate just how important those global bonds were, are, and will be. Thank you. And now, Space Disney. been listening to Space Junk. If you'd like to get in contact, look me up on Twitter or Instagram as at Annie Handmer. You can also email me on thespacejunkpod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast financially, head to www.patreon.com slash thespacejunkpod.